Hello and welcome to the Better Half Show. Uh, we are in season three and we are looking at the subject of marriage, separation, uh, divorce, remarriage, you know, all the gamut of how people get into marriage, the things that can lead to separation, uh, the fault lines that are already existing and other things uh, that the current situation in our world today, like the pandemic, the economic situation, uh, the lockdown, the shutdown, uh, is putting a lot of pressure on many marriages and many marriages are not surviving it. Now, we believe uh, that the pressure that is coming on our world uh, should not lead to separation and divorce. Uh, we believe that we should be able to absorb this pressure uh, when we know the principles that undergird a marriage. And that's why uh, uh, in this series, I'm bringing in uh, many people who have experienced either a divorce or separation. We're going to be looking at their stories and teasing out uh, the salient point that you need to note. Now, if you're married, now this is real-life situation for you. You need to be able to follow through with your stories so you know the things to pay attention to. If you're single, you're still in the right place uh, because there's some things that are just red flags you need to be able to pick up before you get into the real situation. So you're in your real state. By the time you get married, it's real life, you know, real situation, and you need to be mindful of certain things. And when uh, you glean from other people's experiences, what happens is that you will not repeat the same mistake. So, that's why you have to listen to this. You have to, you know, watch this over and again and uh, make sure you get something out of it. And on this, in this episode, I have a very special person. Uh, she, she's gone through the ups and downs of marriage. Uh, she's currently divorced. And she's bold enough to share her experience of, on the things that went right, the things that went wrong. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot from her story. She is a medical doctor by profession a pediatrician. Uh, she was married for 16 years. She has four kids and now she's uh, enjoying a singlehood again. And I'm talking about none other but uh, Dr. Amala Okori. Amala, you, you, you're welcome to Better Half Show. Thank you, Fiji. Good to be here. Yeah. So uh, from your story, uh, you don't look like the person who has gone through what you've gone through. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that, you know, you're glowing, you're, you're happy, um, but you, 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 you've, you've gone through a lot in marriage. Tell us, uh, what do you think are the issues you had to contend with that led to uh, the, seeming, I mean, the failure of your marriage of 16 years? What are those issues? Okay, so um, in my own case, it was really a lot of verbal and emotional abuse. And of course, with that comes other things, the financial issues and all that, but mainly the crux of it was the verbal and emotional abuse. So, and you know, those, those things are things that people don't really talk about because you don't have scars. So nobody sees you hit. But um, for people that have been through emotional abuse, sometimes you actually prefer that you have the scars because then everybody sees that something is wrong. Yeah, because the emotional dents and the emotional bruises and the emotional fractures yes. are not easily seen until Absolutely. one starts to have emotional meltdowns and all kinds of 
you know, malfunction and dysfunctional life. Absolutely. You know, it's like yeah. slowly eroding your spirit, like slowly killing you. So. But you also made mention of the financial issues that were added to it. Do you want to speak to that a little? Okay, so um, part of emotional abuse is also financial abuse. So there's wanting to control the other person's resources or withholding resources so the other person has to be constantly under financial pressure. So that's also a part of it. And we all know that marriage is partnership. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so Amala, I, I wanted to be practical. How did it happen in your own marital experience? Was it like um, your resources were being controlled or resources were not flowing to you just to be able to hold you down emotionally a bit more? What, what really happened? Okay, so more like not flowing down to me. Okay. Not, uh, not that it was being controlled, but more like not flowing down to me. So it was a situation I was under a lot of pressure. Yes, I had to do much more than ordinarily I would have done. And that's, doing that without appreciation from the other person or even with criticisms from the other person, it, it, it keeps you in a tough place, really. Mm. It keeps you in a tough place, especially mentally. Okay. So let, let's, let's dig into uh, the issue of the emotional abuse a little bit more. Many people underrate emotional abuse. Uh, especially any kind of abuse that is not physical. Uh, they feel that the effect is not so strong on you. Do you want to speak to uh, uh, that a bit? What kind of effect did, it, did this have on you to the point that it led to the ultimate failure of your marriage? Okay. Um, I actually think emotional abuse is worse than physical abuse, really. Because it's insidious, it's slow, it's, it's like, it's systematic. Somebody is tactically cutting you down. So your self-esteem is going, your self-worth is going, your perception of who you are is going. And it's especially challenging if maybe in other spheres of your life you're doing well. Mm. So you're, you're, you're the boss lady at work and then you come home, you're like a rat because... Mm. You can't even talk. Your voice cannot be heard. So it's, and, and you can't even speak up because nobody expects you to be able to, to have, nobody expects you to have that kind of challenge. So you can't even talk to anybody about it. So I think emotional abuse is, is it's a slow destruction of a person. That's what it Interesting. is. Interesting. You know, someone once said that emotional abuse um, is like pouring acid on the soul or the emotion of the person. You know, right. when somebody uh, experiences maybe acid bath physically, you see that the, the face is disfigured, the body is yes. disfigured. Is that, uh, the, the, this person says it's like the same thing emotionally. It's the same yeah, thing. You, you agree, right? It's the same thing. Yeah. That, that, same that, thing. That, so now, <laughs> this, is, this, this is important, okay. Amala. I haven't gone through all that. Mm -hmm. How did you survive so that you are not deformed emotionally? Or am I assuming? <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did I survive? Um, so, okay, so this survival now, was it within the marriage? Or within the marriage, it? yeah. Okay, so within, within the, the marriage. marriage. Yeah. How did you cope? Did you cope badly? Was it, you know, at what point 
what precipitated your separation? Okay. Yeah, was it, um, it just got to a point where you couldn't handle it again or were you breaking down? What really happened? Okay, so, well, I'll start with how did I cope? Um, I'm a person of faith. And um, without, at the risk of sounding cliche, that's something that I can't discount because, you know, at every point in the journey, God has a way of making you know that he's there. God has a way of making you know that he's aware. So when they say Jehovah El Roy, I understand that perfectly. So at every point, I had a source to run back to. That really helped me mentally. And then um, also, I, I, I read a lot. So I read some books that helped me being married to a difficult person. So um, I, I took some of what they said, okay, you need to have a thick skin. At some point, my, thin <laughs> my skin was so thick, yeah. it was almost like I was emotionally dead. So the abuse, it just slips off, you know. And that, that's, I don't even know if that is really healthy because it shields you in the interim, but deep down there's something, it just takes... Just, thing. yeah, a little thing and you actually snap. So, but that helped me to keep myself sane and, you know, getting to the point where a lot of things didn't really matter. And then gratitude. So even in the midst of that bad situation, there were things to be grateful for. I had, I had children, I had a good job. So there were things to be grateful for. So that kept me also positive and kept me busy, you know. So um, I think those were basically... So, so at what point? Would you say that um, this has really pushed you, this really pushed you to the end? And um, what actually led to a divorce or a separation? In okay, the so um, at what point? To be honest, um, I may have still been coping with the situation if my ex hadn't filed for a divorce, right? So your ex because, filed for a divorce? Yes, he okay. did. But then, unfortunately, um, all the while that we were married, I was there, but I had mentally signed off. Yeah, checked out. I had checked out. Yeah. So that's, that's where taking your partner for granted comes in. Sometimes we take our partners for granted. So you think you still have control over this person. Meanwhile, you don't know that the person is not there. The person is just there physically. And the person is actually lo looking for a way of escape. Mm. Yes, so... Um, the door was opened, and I'm like, I've been waiting for this door myself, you know. So it, it took some time, but mentally I had checked out. So it was just a little push. And, and okay. Yeah, so it. how did you feel about the fact that the person that seemed to be abusing you emotionally and verbally pulled the plug on the marriage? Uh, because I thought for some people mm -hmm. that will be like, um, like, you know, it will affect you badly because you feel uh, maybe some sense of rejection that, mm -hmm. oh, I was trying to save this marriage. I didn't move out despite, you know, everything I've been going through. And now this same person says it's over. What, what, what was that like for you? So if you understand emotional abuse, because at some point in the marriage, I, it was clear to me that something was wrong. And, you know, maybe because of my profession, I also knew that, you know, 
something was fundamentally wrong. The game of emotional abuse is control and manipulation. So when someone is pulling the plug, a lot of times it's not with intention that he actually wants to pull the plug. There's a response that that person wants to get from you. Because most of the time, by the time they pull the plug, you go back. Because of trauma bonding, you've been conditioned to, and of course with our society as well, no matter how abused a lot of people are, there are reasons why some of us choose to stay. So when you think of society, you think of family, you think of children, you think of so many things. So the response the other person expects, which was the response he had been getting from me, was, oh, I'm sorry, okay, so how do you want it? But then you push until you don't realize when you've actually pushed the person into the wall. And then the person gives you the response you didn't expect. So it's actually, we should always check in on our partners to be sure. How far can, how, is this person still here? Otherwise you would push and you'll get a response that you and, didn't expect. And then you just realize that you've pushed the person out yes. based on what you are. You know, I, I love what you said, Amala, about control. And I wanted to hold that thought because when we come back from this break, I, I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit more uh, you know, around that uh, so that somebody can pick something from how do you deal with a controlling spouse. So don't go away. Please stay with us and we'll be right back. Over the last 25 years, I've realized that the principles that govern marriage are as important as the principles that govern life itself. And when we overlook those principles, we make a mess of any kind of relationship that we may get involved with. That's why I wanted to consider being a part of the Amari course. We're going to be looking at the importance of how to manage finance in marriage, emotional readiness, communication in marriage, in-laws and outlaws, third party, big elephant in the room, sex. These are the issues that we addressed in the Amari preparatory course. There's also a marriage enhancement course. So whether you are married, single, separated, newlywed, or you've been married for a long time, the Amari course will expose you to the right principles that will lead to a blissful marital experience. So go ahead and register and be a part of this course. Welcome back. It's the Better Half Show and we are discussing uh, divorce, separation and remarriage. And I've been talking to Dr. Amala Okori. Uh, we've been sharing about a life in a marriage of 16 years and also living uh, after experiencing a divorce and uh, uh, you know, turning uh, ashes into beauty and living a life uh, that she has always desired. Now, Amala, before we went on the break, we were talking about control and the, the, the issue of balance of power within marriage. Sometimes it tilts to one side, then it tilts to the other side. Yes. How, uh, how did it play out in your marriage? And maybe some practical ways that you actually experience a bit of control. And, you know, how did that go? Okay, so, um, like you said, control is all about an imbalance of power, really. So somebody wants to continually keep the other person under, which is not what marriage should be. Marriage is a partnership. Yeah. So um, a lot of times that control could be in the area of your finances. 
So it's either finances are not flowing to you, that's where you have people that don't want their spouses to work, or starts feeling threatened when their spouse seems to be progressing in their career or in their business and you know try to shut that source down. Or you have um, people that are not either they want to have maybe they have want to have a joint account, which yeah. is not a bad thing yeah. in a marriage where there is trust. Yeah. But however, some people want to do that simply because they want to control your access to resources. Yeah. Yes. So, so was um, that your own experience? Or, or can you tell us? No, mine was more like um, cutting off access. So I had to do a lot of things. And at the end of the day, you see that you're earning well, but you can't make anything out of it. Okay. So, um, so because you're pouring it, everything right back. And, you know, sometimes that could, that could really be painful. It could hurt. So was it, was it because your ex... Um, wasn't putting enough on the table or he, he lost his earning capacity or just uh, pushed a lot to you just to be able to like soak in your own resources? I think, I think it was... Um, so I, I think sometimes people feel that if this person has more resources, it gives you a voice. Yeah. So... If you're not going to give up those resources voluntarily, like say, I want to do a joint account, if you're not going to do it voluntarily, it can be taken away from you tact, tact, tactically. Yeah. Yes, so because there's no how you have children and their needs and you don't meet them. You have to be... Especially if the other person is not exactly. you know, yes. taking care of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So control also thrives in isolation. So that, that's a red flag, actually, if you're, if you're with somebody that wants to isolate you because that's the only way you can be manipulated. So it keeps you in a bubble. Um, you don't have friends. You're not, these people can actually isolate you from your family, down to your family. So it keeps you unaware of the right way that things should be done because nobody is talking to you. Nobody is hearing from you. Nobody knows what you're going through. And the moment they can get you in that place of isolation, you're you're slowly going to be finished. I, I, I love the way you're talking about it. Uh, the only thing <laughs> is I, I wanted to be able to um, say this from some bit of experience. So you're saying, Kamala, yes. that you experience a bit of isolation yes. tactically, uh, maybe a bit of cutting off from your friends, cutting off from your families, uh, and this thing was done strategically so that you can be isolated, and then uh, the control and manipulation uh, will, will be aided by your isolation. Right. Yeah, and yes. that's, that should be a red flag for anyone. Oh, it should be. Yeah. It should be. The moment all your friends have issues, your family has issues, your colleagues have issues, then um, that's going somewhere. So to keep the peace, you're going to cut off from all those other people. And when you say they have issues, it means that you're saying that somebody is pointing it out to you that I don't want these people yes, around because there's an issue. Exactly. With okay. I, don't, I don't like this person. Why are you talking to this person? What's your business with this person? I, your family is this. You're, you know, so, and once that starts happening, um, you don't have people to talk with because it's until you open up regarding what you're going through, you with wouldn't understand people. that you're, you're sitting in, on a dysfunctional you know, you're, you're sitting in dysfunction. It's people that will tell you, no, this is not right. Mm. This is not right. 
And so cutting off access to those people that will tell you it's not right helps the abuse to thrive. I get you. That, that, that's, that's, uh, that should be a red flag for anyone. Oh, yes. if, if, if you're married right now, you should know uh, that if you have a partner or a spouse who is always trying to cut you off from other people, people who should have access to you and be able to speak into your life and help you to gain clarity in your relational life, but you are cut off from them because your spouse or your partner is saying no, pick that as a red flag. If you are single, it's the same thing. If you're dating someone and the person is trying to take you away from your friends who know you in and out, and the person is trying to say, no, no, don't, don't get too close, take that as a red flag because your old friends know you better than anybody that you're just meeting right now. Now, uh, Dr. Amala, um, let's, let's, let, let's, let's unpack something. Uh, you are a person of faith. You said that before. And uh, obviously, uh, from what you've said, your, your ex was also a, a person of faith. Right. Both of you were Christians or are Christians mm -hmm. and ministers in, in the church. How, how, how did that play out that you were not excused from marital issues? Though you believe in God, you were ministers and all that. I mean, how come uh, the issue of faith did not prevent this marital failure from happening? Okay, so, well, I would say, to be honest, at the onset, it was pretty confusing for me. Very confusing, because the basis, first of all, I was really young when I got married. So in those days, once the person was born again, tongue-talking, spirit-filled, demon-chasing, as far as you're concerned, every other thing should align. So it was pretty confusing for me at the onset. But then with all that I know, I now understand that marriage is an institution that thrives on principles. It's not really, faith is important, but you can have Buddhists that have even beautiful marriages because there are principles in it, the communication, the trust, the, the you know, understanding, mutual understanding, mutual respect. Those are principles that cut across every faith. So being a Christian doesn't make you immune from, those, um, from the marital challenges. If you don't put in the work, you're not going to get the results. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty universal. The principles that guide marriage, it's pretty universal. If so, you don't so, put in so, the work, you don't get the so results. So what you're saying is that if, I, if I'm a praying person, I pray a lot, I fast a lot, mm -hmm. I work in church, uh, as in serve God and all that, volunteer, even at the highest level, because <laughs> I, I, I mean, a lot of people are in that space and they're still experiencing a lot of marital issues. Um, does that mean that God is not answering their prayer or uh, the prayer should work in a different way? <laughs> so God answering your prayers could be asking you to go for counseling, okay. right? So God answering your prayers could be telling you you need to check in for anger management classes. All those are God answering prayers. So it's not until something divine or something happens from heaven. So God answering your prayers is letting you know that you need to get help and channeling you to the right place of getting help. And that's something we often don't do in church. Marital crisis, especially when you get to the position of ministering or working, is often shrouded in secrecy. And... You don't want to own up to the fact that I'm as human as everybody else, you know. So um, 
it was really difficult for me functioning in the roles I had to and still coming to church and pretending like nothing happened. It felt like I was living a double life. So, so being a Christian, it's not enough to go to your pastors for counseling, except your church has people that are certified marriage counselors. Because there are things that, it, it's not enough to just say, um, submit to him, kneel down and beg him, he's your husband, he's your crown. Once there's that imbalance, the person that is kneeling down one day will say, no, I'm not kneeling again. So counseling has to be balanced and it's preferable that a certified family life therapist is, you know, is the person handling this counseling. And that's something a lot of churches don't do. You know, a lot of churches don't just end the counseling with, oh, pastor speaking to them, which often is, is not a balanced um, counseling. So it's highly recommended that most churches should engage therapists, um, you know, family life therapists, or train the ministers to be able to effectively counsel those people so that we, can't give, we don't give them um, you know, an imbalanced counsel. I, I agree with you, Amala. I think there's a lot of assumption in, the, uh, uh, in one sense, which is that the, the, the Bible itself speaks to the principles of marriage. Right. And the assumption is that every Christian should understand it simply, and uh, when the pastors talk to them based on the principles of the Bible, they're just going to practice it. And, and it, 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 I know just the same way uh, we preach to people maybe on faith or, or on different things, and they still struggle with it. When people listen to the principles that govern marriage, they still struggle. And when they then have an opportunity for somebody to explain it in a more practical way sometimes, and they take them through what they need to know, uh, maybe it works better for them. Now, yes. let, let, let's, let's wrap this up, and I really want to appreciate you for uh, being open with your life and speaking to all these things. But I need you to uh, uh, just wrap it up for us by talking about how not to normalize dysfunction in a marriage. Because uh, from the stories you've told, it looks to me like uh, dysfunction, a kind of dysfunction went on for quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, can, can, do you want to speak to that a bit? Okay, um, how not to normalize this function? If you don't understand how something should function, abusing it is, is inevitable. So I think one of the ways not to normalize this function is to enter that union with a lot of information. And um, before you enter, you need to be self-aware. You need to understand yourself before you can go on that journey with somebody else. So I think, um, and also, you need to learn how to speak up on time. Like I said, marriage, especially in Christian circles, is shrouded in a lot of secrecy. So people are told, you don't need a third party in your marriage, which at some point may be good counsel, but it's not always very healthy counsel. People have to be accountable. Your spouse has to be accountable to somebody. So if you're in that situation and you're like saying, oh, it's just me, you and the Holy Spirit, there are sometimes somebody needs to help the Holy Spirit to keep this person in check, to straighten. That's why, we have, that's why we have mentors, to keep you in line. So you need to learn how to speak up on time and then speak to the right people. Speak to the right people because you can speak to people who give you the wrong counsel over time. And then by the time it explodes, everybody is saying, oh, sorry, sorry, we didn't mean it that way. Well, you didn't mean it that way, but here we are. Right, so... Um, it's important, first of all, to understand what is this union called marriage about? How does God want it to run? And not, not entering marriage from a position of, oh, we're both, Christ, we're both 
of the same faith. A lot of things goes into not being unequally yoked. Yeah. Yes, so the value alignment, the, so many things goes into it. So, so practically speaking, you're saying speak up, speak, speak up. out, uh, uh, get help. Uh, get help. If you need to bring somebody in to the marriage to help you look to, through the issues, make sure that people who have the requisite skill, right. understanding, and experience to be able to do that. Yes. And um, uh, also, that in marriage, accountability is very key. We need uh, to be able to hold each other accountable, and we need people who can hold us accountable, uh, helping us to understand uh, how the Spirit of God wants to help us right. <laughs> right. to be able to walk through the marriage and not just say, uh, I'm a person of faith, and uh, I'm just, it's, this, it's God that's helping me. God has human agents that will help you to be able to resolve the issue so that you don't live in this dysfunction. Because when dysfunction goes on for so long, it results into emotional damage, into physical abuse, emotional abuse, and um, the marriage uh, uh, will, will, will fall apart someday. And the conversation with Dr. Amala Okore today uh, has pointed us in the direction of the fact that uh, there are dysfunctionalities that if you live in your marriage or your relationship for too long can lead to the eventual failure of that relationship. Uh, the red flags are control, emotional manipulation, um, uh, pushing you into some measure of isolation that can make you more vulnerable to more control and more manipulation. There's so, just so much to learn from our story. But I needed to understand something. Uh, that you need to take responsibility for your marital life by making sure that you are not isolated, that you are not ignorant, and that you are not naive. And that's why you must open up yourself to counsel, uh, to live a life of accountability, and uh, you know, to gain more knowledge that will strengthen your heart to keep you on the path of marital success. And it's on this note that I want to introduce you uh, to uh, my marriage enrichment program, uh, a, a course that I created a while ago, which is Amari course. So if you go to amaricourse.com, you can take a self-paced marriage enrichment course if you're married. And if you're single, uh, there's the, the marriage preparatory course there, also on the Amari platform. Amaricourse.com, you can either sign up for the marriage preparatory course or the marriage enrichment course. You need to understand that you, you cannot be excused or your ignorance cannot be excused. You need knowledge if you will do better, if you will grow, if you will maximize your relational life uh, for your happiness and your joy. My prayer for you is that God will give you the wisdom that you need uh, to sail through any kind of relational situation that you are going through right now. And uh, I pray that your marriage and your relationships will continue to be sweet, enjoyable, and uh, uh, lead you on the path of fulfillment of your purpose in life. Until I come your way again, it's Godman Akinlabi and it's season three of the Better Half Show. And uh, please join me on the next episode. It promises to be a wonderful experience. Bye for now. <laughs>